We all love the Bathurst 12 Hour. It's one of our favorite events of the year, and we eagerly wait it to come around each February. It was a glorious time in the early 2000s when we had two Bathurst 12 Hours back-to-back, and it was known as the Bathurst 24 Hour, and today we're going to dive into it, and I can't wait. Gentlemen, start your engines. Welcome to the Motor Racing Passion Podcast. I'm Luke Blattman, and today we're going to be talking about the two magical years of the Bathurst 24 hour in 2002 and 2003. Two fantastic motor races, ultimately dominated by Holden Monaros, but two great time, two great years in Australian motor racing history. Here with me today to talk about our memories of the race are three people who were there for who were there on the Spectator Hills when it happened. I've got my two brothers, Adam and Daniel, and I've also got Brock, my friend, with me. Now, I'll go to you first, Adam. What are you, When the Bathurst 24-hour comes up, what are your first memories of it? Well, for me, for two aspects, was being a, in my early teens uh, at that stage, was uh, falling asleep on the, front, on the front straight at like 2, 3 a.m. and be woken up by uh, the... Well, in 2003 in that case, getting woken up by that fluoro green Kawasaki Porsche. That thing was just absolutely savage on the eardrums for it. But yeah, when it comes around, it's the twice around the clock race uh, for it. And it was just a great time in Australian motorsport. And just, yeah, glad I, glad I was able to be there for the two years. How about you, Brock? Mate, there's just no words. I was 12, 13, went to both of them with my dad. 24 hours around Bathurst, supercar drivers, international drivers, different cars we'd never seen before, an unfortunately loud Porsche that Adam referenced, but just awesome. We'd, we'd play a grab of it on the podcast, but I think it'll it'll deafen everyone listening. This is an awesome event, Lukey. I'm super excited about this podcast. What about you, Daniel? Uh, so many memories, but uh, pulling one out, it was the 20, uh, 2003 race and two of the biggest downpours that I've ever experienced at Bathurst. So it was the second one came, I think it was midnight, like, one o'clock. Or, oh, yeah, it was. But just being huddled in behind the pits, which they're not the same pits now. So there the was classic just. Classic pits. Yeah, it was just absolutely getting pelted, trying to like huddle and hide from uh, the incoming rain. And then it was the ensuing flood that made its way down the pit lane. So that was, uh, and I think it took till probably lunchtime the next day to um, thaw out. But, uh, you know, it was uh, absolutely amazing. Yeah, I remember that first downpour of the 2003 race. I remember huddling under the the entry to, I think it was the first aid office, or my, a little office down near the, just under what was the James Hardy Centre. Um, it's now not there anymore. But um, yeah, it just pelting rain and everyone just ducking for every little bit of yeah bit of cover they that they could get and I stop th- the race. It was a red mm. flag. Yeah, yeah. Well, I thought I thought your favourite memory of the race might have been talking to Alan Simonson, Adam. My uh, brief uh, 10, 10 second chat with him. We're right there. He, I think he just finished a stint. I think it was almost. I think it was around midnight somewhere. There. It was definitely dark when it happened, and he was walking back to the transporter and just uh, said. Alan, great job, and oh, I think it was hello, and I was like, great job, and, he, and it was like, very nice, thank you, and he kept on walking in that, and that's my claim to fame for the late Alan Simonson, top bloke. Where did you watch the start of the race from when you were there, Brock? Mate, I have a photo, uh, I was actually looking at it last week, and we were right on the start line, in line with the... 427 Monaro in 02. Yep. And 03, I think we watched it from the chase yeah, from yep. memory. But, um, yeah, awesome weekend. I can't say it enough. I remember going, start, like heading into that, that race in 2002, just the anticipation of what we're going to see. Um, 
and then being like, I remember, was it a Saturday night, sitting on the hill just going, we've still got 19 hours left, how good <laughs> is this? But then going, those 19 hours disappeared. And I was like yep. Sunday afternoon just going, oh, where did it all go? Mm. So, so. Like, it's like with the 12-hour now, when it gets to – when it gets six hours in, like the first six hours fly, I find, at the 12-hour. And you, you, all of a sudden it's like, well, there's only half the race still to go. Yeah. I remember the first six hours of the 24-hour went past quite quite quick, especially the second year, the t- 2003 one, because they started the race a bit earlier. So by the time the sun went down, it was it was probably 8 o'clock, so 7.30, 8 o'clock. But you still had the whole night to go. You still had the whole next day. Because it was a 3, yeah, 3 p.m. start, didn't it? Move from 4 p.m. Uh, start to 3 p.m.? 2002 was a 4 p.m. start. 03 was a 2 p.m. start. Oh, they went two hours. Because I think with the Channel 7 coverage they wanted to get – because it clashed with the Rugby World Cup final. Yeah, that's right. Because they played that on the uh, big big screen. screen. Do do you remember who won that Rugby World Cup final? Yes. You're supposed to say no. Mm. Sorry, no. Luke doesn't remember. (laughs) Do you remember who won the Bathurst 24-hour? I do. Well, I, I do. case closed. Yeah, exactly. We know which event should have that's, taken That's priority. why there was no need to put the Rugby World Cup <laughs> exactly. on the TV there. I think they obviously played that because they thought, oh, maybe if we put it on TV at the track. Some extras pe- will come. People might come along to see both. I think people might have stayed. They must have thought people would have stayed home to watch the union on TV. Can you think, aside from a touring car or a supercar, I can't think of a, a more iconic Australian motor like motor racing vehicle than the yellow Monaro that wasn't involved in the Bathurst 1000 yeah yeah controversial possibly well the strain car in there like there 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 wasn't a modern day um you know version of like the the Falcon Coupes that could come out like when you think Monaro like yeah we've got some great Monaros like Norm Beachy everything like that but to the modern day, you instantly go, yeah. Everyone recognises that car. You're right. You're right. In, in Yeah, well. Just car insurance, like what a plug. I still yeah. remember just <laughs> yeah, car insurance yeah. because of that car. Is it still around? I don't know. But if they were, like I know who they are yeah. because of 2002 mm. about this. 12, fair, fair point. Hour. If you think Group C touring cars, the first thing that pops in your mind is probably Peter Brock's, if you're a Holden man especially, Brock's 84 Dayglow. Marlborough Commodore, mm. and it's, if you think, well, if you think Nations Cup in general, you think the Monaro and the twenty, the twenty four hour as well. That is ultimately the first thing that you'd probably think of is a yellow Monaro. Not it, not in the I guess Australian landscape as you're saying with mm. Monaro, but I think the other big part of the 2002 twenty four hour was the introduction to Australia of Moslers. And Martin Short. And yeah. well, and the great Martin Short, Ralph said her racing. But I think in terms of that point, no one um no one, no one in Australia, yeah, had really known what a Mosler was. I remember John Bow on the coverage even saying that even he didn't know what a Mosler mm. was. And obviously he rates himself pretty highly in most things. But um yeah, and just seeing that car that like I was captivated by it. Oh, yeah. Um and obviously it had two very good runs, I think a second and a fifth from memory. And, um, yeah, so I think that – and then that car obviously then filtered on into future um, uh, G- Australian GT championships. Adam, you've worked on one, and it would kind of gave you some of the most uh, satisfying um, experiences of your life, I'm sure. Well, it, Satisfying moments. I was satisfied when they fixed it. Well, uh, until it, we, we retired from the race and uh, for it there, and that was the last time it um, – Drove in Australia for that, but yeah, no, nah, for that. And then I guess in 2003 going off, um, the introduction of the Mosler was the Morgan Aero 8. Like, that was just another car. Like, I didn't realise anyone raced a Morgan up until that. I remember that, so. Morgans. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that, that, I was I was almost in tears when that thing blew a motor at, I think it was like 8 o'clock that night. Sick. Five hours in and... Yeah, yeah, caught fire right in front of us. Yeah. And then, because they parked it just out of Hell Corner. Yeah. I was just more more um, intrigued by how they incorporated the the wood into the chassis of the car, like that. Was it real wood? Yeah, yeah. It was hardwood. Oh wow! Yeah, and that, that is very British. Yeah, and that was the thing about it that it was that like when you think about race cars and everything like that to that formula, 
before it, they're like purpose-built cars to it. And being, you know, a young teenager for myself, you know, that twigged my interest a little bit, something different. And when after the race, went back and had a look at it and was like, yeah, wow, they really did integrate wood into the chassis, into it there. And it was just, yeah, Because cool. that, that was a Class 2 car, wasn't it? That was up against the Challenge Ferrari. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah the BMWs, so. Z4s and different things like that. Yeah, it was in sort of, yeah, yeah. I suppose Class B, Yeah, you'd say. But it was... It was funny when the during 2002 when they started announcing the overseas entries. I mean, you saw a photo of the Mosler, and your first thought was, I mean, that's going to win. Mm. That's that's a sports mm. car. That's going to that's going to win everything. And I mean, there were, there was. I don't think anyone really expected the Monaro to do what it was going to do I, initially. Initially, oh, like I, when, I, when the initial announcement. Oh yeah, the, the and, you, and, and you saw a photo of a Mosler is going to come over and race. I think the probably the initial fear was the Mosel was going to give but, everyone a lesson. But then, when you think, um, obviously, once some of the noises came around about what some of the uh, what would you say concessions that were being given to the Monaro, and then another concession, and then I think the team like Beginning Australia were pretty vocal. Um, Prancing Horse Racing were pretty vocal. Um, I think that kind of pricked your ears up to think that you know. Uh, this Mo, uh, this Monaro wasn't going to be um, particularly stock and could um, mm. create a but surprise. I think the surprise when it came from was just how reliable it was. Like I think everyone thought it'd yeah. be fast. It would have pushed once. Like no. even qualifying, they were just absolutely tooting around. Yeah, I remember um, uh, the opening stint of the 2002 race as well. And uh, as you know, when you're a bit younger, we pretty much watched the start, watched a couple of laps and headed straight to the pits. So we're in the pits for the Monaro's first stop, which let's say was after an hour, give or take. It had blown a tyre in that point too. Garth, we were behind the pits and Garth Tanner jumps out and obviously walks over to Stephen Richards and Nathan Pretty. Um, and they were like, oh, how was it? And we heard him say, oh, that was easy. And obviously little do we know at that point how easy it would be. Mm. Um, yeah. But yeah, as in you said- In the first year at least. Yeah, 2002 yeah. wasn't pushed, first stint, and that's when they had, um, I think, uh, the 360 Ferrari absolutely screaming mm. its head off trying to stay with it. Well, and then for him to jump out and say it was easy, I was like, that's, that was pretty telling. Yeah. Well, I remember the, the Ferrari was on pole, the Prancing Horse Ferrari in 2002, but then I remember, then the Monaro took the lead up Mountain Straight. What sort of lap times were they doing back then, Lukey? Well, the Prancing Horse Ferrari got pole with two minute. Two minute fifteen. That's interesting which, because even like in the the early nineties, the GTRs were doing very similar pace to that. Yeah. I would have thought they would have been slightly quicker than. Yeah, than I, I suppose they may have had them in because there wasn't a lot of practice time for the two thousand and two race. Mm. So they may have just I suppose had them in twenty four hour trim. But I mean, in qualifying, the Monaro was nearly two seconds slower. Yeah, they they went. Faster than that. Well, I remember, uh, was it McConville did a 2.13 in the morning warm-up? Yep. And then he and then he went faster than, and then Tanner went faster than that during that opening stint. So I, I, I don't get the feeling that was that 2.16 is too indicative of the potential yeah. of the car. I, I remember that first stint of the O2 race and the Ferrari, the Ferrari gave chase to the Monaro, but po- probably did some, because it wasn't long, because I remember the TV coverage showed the first hour, wasn't it? Yep. And it was pretty much just after that first hour, that's when the Monaro got the puncture. And, I mean, the Ferrari was out not long after. Yeah, I think mm. it was three or four laps and it had to crawl around the whole track. Um, yeah, well, launch the engine. I guess the one of the greatest things about the 24-hour in that point of view was, yeah, we got the great cars at the front, but it was just the diverse range of cars from the front of the field to the back. Like, you know, we've got the exotic cars at the front, but then you had uh, 2002, that would have had Future Tourers at the time in it. Mitsubishi Magna or the Future Magna. Tourer. And, and this is to add to that, Adam, Mitsubishi Magna P9 in qualifying. How good that's, is that? Yeah. I think I think that's the fastest that Magna's been around uh, Bathurst Two, 228. ever. <laughs> yeah. But, well, um, I, I remember that Magna we saw, well, that, 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 that originated in the 2000-2001 um, Australian Super Touring Championship. As a, as a future tour, tour. yeah. And I think I, I guess even from that, like one of the oddest, like not oddest, but I guess from an outside view would be you got a, you know, a Ferrari, a Holden Monaro, um, Porsche, everything like that. 
in the same race as a Mitsubishi Mirage Cyborg from the old uh, Mirage Cup days that was going around. Like yeah. it was just those two extremes that kind of threw it back to the you know the the class racing at Bathurst back in the day in the twelve well, I guess the twelve hour in the early nineties. Well, um, that run you had the um the Osborne MR2s. That's right. That yeah. dated back to the. Well, the model anyway. I don't know the specific cars, but the model anyway dated back to the twelve hour. Yeah, yeah, it was. It was just like a. Yeah, it was just a. I guess looking back on it now, it's kind of like that was our version. You could align it with VLN at the Nordschleife. Yeah. With it there, you got the the big diverse parts of cars, and it was just cool. Like yeah. you know, they they've done some respect to the twelve hour now, but um, you know, try to make it more sports or GT three more orientated. But yeah, it was just cool to see. You, know, you got the Monaro buzzing around the Mosler for that. You get the Future Tourers, Super, Super Tourers. There are a couple Super of BMWs. Tourers, yeah. yeah, that we had. Uh, was it two thousand and three? We had um, SAE. Yeah, um, yeah, the Searles. Searles, and they had uh, Daryl O Young um, came out and drove it. Oh, did he uh, really? Daryl O Young, no, uh, Alex, Alex Young. Sorry, Alex Young. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry for that. And yeah, that a troubled year that year, but um. For it there, but yeah, it was just cool, diverse range of cars. I think with with Ross Palmer's intention of the race, I think it was very much Nurburgring twenty four hour based. Um, that was sort of his vision for it mm. to be sort of the the Australian version of the N twenty four. At the time, I mean, the Nurburgring twenty four has changed a little bit from 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 an outright perspective in that yeah. it's uh, GT three sort of is the outright class at the Nurburgring now, but. At the time, there were there were a lot of specials running at the front in the Nurburgring Twenty Four, and maybe that was his inspiration in a way for the the spec that the Monaro was allowed to run in. Do, do do we think the Monaro did the Monaro make the race, or ultimately did the Monaro kill the race off? There was a um, Holden used a promotional line at the time, Monaro Game Over. There was a TV ad, mm. TV ad that ran with it, and unfortunately, um, yes, that's. The Monaro was game over for the Bathurst 24-hour. I think it, it made it in a sh- such a short period of time. Um, but I think if the race was allowed to kind of just build and evolve, almost a bit like the 12-hour has mm. done past, it built small, slowly grew within its means. But I feel yeah. like the introduction of Holden, and obviously once Holden were in, trying to cater to Holden and give them for, the, for their mm. investment, it just the thing went from zero to 100 and then broke. I think if it, if we had a bit more of a steady evolution, we mm. we may have um, seen the uh, the event last longer. Was I've, it almost ten years too early? Do you think? Like, if you look at, uh, I guess I, I, hindsight's an easy thing to look at, and especially in this, we you know we've um you know, looked at the twelve hour and its growth and everything like that. If the twenty four hour say was started, it was pitched and run in say two thousand and twelve, two thousand thirteen. Say it started from there ten years later. I, I don't know what, what that would give you, though. Like, cause you know, the only difference, there would have been no Tony Cochran to be up against. That's true. He was getting the supercars juggernaut running at that time. Yeah, and he was a very, very combative with other events. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, he was threatening when Palmer announced it at Adelaide in 2002. That's, that's another thing to factor in, mm. that from the race's announcement to it being run was eight or nine months, which yeah. is, in hindsight, pretty short period of time to put a race together and and did, did ross palmer when he created the race did he want it to be did, did he envision it being a slow build or did he want an impact straight away uh because great, I, great question because i oh two they started running their own pro car had started running their own events as well but i i think what he might might have done is he he probably didn't think that kind of instant impact was possible but then obviously when holden jumped on board and then I guess then it was a little bit not out of his control, but Joe, you know I mean, obviously then he was trying to please Holden and uh, yeah. keep them um, engaged in it. Because the the Nations Cup rules sort of evolved with the Monaro as well. Yeah, before the Monaro, like well, you- in two thousand and two, there it was the the rules for Nations Cup were kind of cup cup car based in a way. But if you look at two thousand and one, though, like. It's. I think Nations Cup as a category, and this might be to Adam's point too. The, there were some relatively relatively unstable rules, but you think from two thousand and one to two thousand and two, the Cup car got introduced because the Porsche competitors were saying 
the uh, the Lamborghinis, Lamborghinis the Vipers, the Ferraris mm. were too fast. So then they gave them that concession. Um, and then obviously then Ferrari wanted another concession. It just kind of just builds and fell out of Kind that. of mirrored Group C back in the day. One manufacturer would, you know, I want this, I'm this, and then concessions were given. So well, That's every motor racing <laughs> category <laughs> in history. I, I don't – I think – I don't think the event happens the way it did without the Monaro. Like I don't, I don't think I think without the without the Monaro, I don't think you get the. I, I mean, the event could have paid for the TV. It did pay for it, the it did TV. pay for the TV. But do 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 you, without the Monaro, do I suppose yeah you can you still buy the TV time, but there's not there's not the media interest. Yeah, yeah it's not the media interest without it the Monaro. It needed the Monaro. And it needed the factory Holden drivers there. Yeah, yeah. I, I like. I, I think that the Monaro, yeah, maybe killed the competition of the event, but yeah. certainly because made the event. What if it you is. look at the the Nations Cup front runners at the time, they 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 weren't factory teams. No. Like I I think I think if Holden had run a Monaro built, say say to NGT rules of the time or in the spirit of what the other Nations Cup cars were, I think there'd probably be the same result. Maybe not, maybe, maybe not lap time-wise, but, I mean, that, they were a, fact, you know, a factory-backed team, four, four professional, eight professional drivers in 2003. Look, they had the best driver lineup. They had, you know, the most experienced team and engineers mm. at Bathurst. They had, you know, probably the best engine shop available to them. Yeah, you know, but, I mean, and they had experience in like the Bathurst One Thousand, Gary yeah, Rogers I mean, Motorsport. You know, they had they had runs on the board, board around reliability. But I, I think that it was it was the means in which they won too. Like if they win both races, but they win them by a lap Domination. or a lap and a half, no issue. But the yeah, fact yeah. the two thousand and three race when they just rolled around one two for twenty four hours, like I think that's. I mean, if you're a Holden fan, it was pretty enjoyable at the time. Mm. Especially yeah, as a young as a young boy, I loved it. But as a young boy, did you kind did you like were you watching that? Did you have an appreciation that maybe they were given a leg up? No, I had my tander hat on okay. and life was great. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, I just remember um so David Addison, the um commentator at two thousand and three race on the PA and he's rolled out with leading class one A, two Monaros <laughs> and leading class one B. Yeah. Actually, that brings that brings up a good a good little point. In as much as the mention of the um, the PA system, the two thousand two Bathurst twenty four hour, it, it's I don't live streaming. I suppose it was available in two thousand and two in a way. I mean, you couldn't have watched it on our fifty six k dial up <laughs> internet, but I don't think it was an option for most people. But, but was the streaming of it available? Oh, I'm sure. I think like um, it was broadcast internationally. I think. On to I, probably I, other networks. Can you think of? I, can you think of a? I don't think streaming wasn't nutty. really. No, it wasn't really. Because remember, Le Mans twenty four hour. I used to log on to Radio, Radio Le, Mans Le Mans website and get an yeah. audio feed. Yeah, that yeah. Would have, that would have been the. Extent I did that two thousand. Do. I remember doing that the two thousand and one yeah. Le Mans twenty four. Yeah, I think that was probably the extent back then because yeah. I don't think like yeah. streaming well, and everything would. Yeah, have been. That, that's a pity because because David Addison it was obviously it was on the Channel Seven telecast, mm. but uh, when on the non telecast periods. He went and joined the PA yep. for around the track. And he some of his insight and just his stories were fantastic. And I, I remember that bit when he when he mentioned about um class one A for two door yeah. VO supercars. I, there was other bits of banter. Two door VO supercars. Yeah, it was <laughs> yeah. Yeah. spot on. There was a, there was other bits where they said um one of the other guys in the PA booth was um said that the the, the Monaro is winning the race and then David Addison comes there, Monaro is not winning the race, he's leading the race. <laughs> and bits of ban bits of ban it was it was a sounded like a TV coverage. It would have been great. It's a pity there wasn't the you can't go back now and match the footage up with the with the um, audio with the audio of the race. Because he said oh, he he had so many stories. Even he was telling stories about the European touring car championship from the eighties, stories about when um, Brock and Grice and mm. Alan Moffat and that went over there, and I think he, he told stories about Le Mans, and um, I think himself, I think Aaron Noonan was part of the PA commentary that weekend, and they'd both been at Le Mans that year, so they were just talking about Le Mans. And but I think it was, it was great to listen to. I, I think that's a bit of the 
the great thing about a 24-hour race is you've got 24 hours to talk about the race that's unfolding in front of you, but there's so much of an opportunity to talk about so many linkages into the race and, you know, it was focused around Australia and Australians going around and having a person the calibre of David Addison coming out to commentate and his knowledge and everything, being able to, you know, talk about that for a 24-hour period for their and, spread And then we had it. Andrew Marriott in 2003 yeah, as well. Yeah. Good, yeah, so I think – and that, that just bodes well to any long-distance race in there that it's – there's two stories, you know, I guess. There's the story of the race unfolding – and then I guess it's the journey that the commentary team take you through the race, telling you what's happening, but also having that conversation, that banter in between it. And that's just, you know, that's fantastic. I think the the TV coverage of it in a way, when, I mean, ultimately the race, the way they promoted it, 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 it was the, the, the first 24 hour just became a, a rival to the 1000. Mm. Just... They're just the way it was always dating back to the Super Touring 1000s, like it was very much it was Super Touring 1000 versus the V8 1000, just the way V8 supercars went about their business. And the 24-hour became a rival. And so everything went up alongside each other. And with the TV coverage, it you know, AVE did a great job, but it seemed like, seemed like Speed Week on Channel 7. Like the, the, the budget wasn't there for the quality of the telecast compared to... Did it need it, though? Like I'd- I think if you're on Channel 7 on and the race is being, being built up as... I, I think we're spoiled, like, like the, 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 we're the, spoiled the direct, now. For- the direct comparisons are going to be there in the quality of the broadcast. Oh, but- yeah. Well, I think but now, we're, we're, if you compare now to back then, we're spoiled for what we get on the coverage. If you look back at 2002... That was still sort of comparative to almost what Channel Ten was spitting out with the V eight. So like, yeah, it was probably a bit more oh. fine tuned and polished. But you still had yeah, oh, you could the tell race. the budgets weren't the same. But they but, didn't need to be. Like they probably did. Yeah, but, in, in, but in, think in, about the Lamar coverage at two AM. It's atrocious. That's Lamar. Oh, yeah, on board yeah. on board car sounds. Yeah. For, I yeah, so I, I think the coverage was fine for the era. Oh, it was it was fine, but I just think if you're having a direct comparison and the races were built up as rival but, races, but I, I think who was building it? Because I mean, I can't imagine Procar as the promoter at the event were promoting it as being an equal. No, oh, no, 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 no. But that's but, so. But, that's what I mean. But, so if other people were doing that, but from Procar's point of view, I can totally understand them not throwing millions of dollars at the TV production. Especially when, like, I agree, yeah. what they put out was fine. Oh, not, like, it, it might not have been as graphics might not have been uh, as neat and tidy as. Um, but even the little things like the there was a problem with the um, the PA when they did the national anthem. Little things like that coming through on the coverage. But I think if and you look it, at the it, infrastructure at Bathurst back in two thousand and two compared to when they did the uh, the the reverb at the pits and everything like that, I think that probably played into yeah. it. But but I, I I mean more just the way the way it evolved in the lead up to the race you had just just the perception mm. the 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 general perception would be this isn't as polished as that. It's funny because I was obviously at a, a different age group to to you three when the event came around, but like I went with my dad, I never. I never saw it as a rival to supercars at all. It was oh, just no, sort of no. like this mm. completely separate thing yeah. that was super cool and a bit like the 12-hour now. Yeah. You know, like they had that whole thing in 2015 where they put the supercar test day on the, and like that, it shouldn't be that way. They're two separate things. Yeah. They can both grow off each yeah. other. Oh, definitely. And it dates back to the yeah. Super Touring 1000s. Mm. Yeah, they, so. they could have coexisted, but... Over the years, there was one side that turned everything into like even when Procar went and did its own thing with their with their own events in two thousand and two. I remember comments being made from supercars in the the way that you know that they I suppose they 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 had to find more support categories then to to fill out their race meetings. But there was a combative element to that too, from memory. Yeah, well, I think it was at the Adelaide. 500 that year that they um, <clears throat> were paranoid about Procar filming uh, any events beyond their own and they were going and confronting cameramen and just mm. doing stuff. And oh. Just, yeah. Lovely. Just, 
Exactly. Yeah. Which you think too, and um, um, I'm definitely not what you'd call a supporter of uh, V8 supercars. But, yeah, you just think for – Virgin Australia supercars, uh, yeah. Daniel. Yeah. Um, Is it still Virgin? I don't know. They've got a new buyer. so um, Chinese-owned Virgin Australia supercars. <laughs> but I just think as a category like that that can, that can do so much for motorsport in the country seems, um, you know, like doesn't have a responsibility to promote other sport, uh, other forms of motorsport, but surely has a responsibility not to undermine other um, categories of motorsport. And unfortunately, this well, is one of many examples where that's happened. And I think Ross Palmer wanted to push – Pro car to the point where, you know, for the for the pro car pro car series, um, for it there, I think he he had visions of taking that up to supercars for there, but I don't think the Bathurst twenty four hour in itself was ever meant to be a direct competitor to the one thousand no, for no. there. It was just like a, a marquee showcased event. So, do you, do you think you look at how successful the twelve hours been in a February time slot, which is um. I never would have picked that as being the best time for it, but the way the international calendar works out, it's found its um, sweet spot. Do you reckon the 24-hour, if it was held at another point in the year, would have been more or less successful? Like, I don't know how that came about in November. Maybe uh, the week before October. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a long weekend. <laughs> I think, um, I think like, you go back 2000, 2003 – for it, and you look at calendars for most championships back then, I don't think a lot of championships ran into the November, December time space where they do these days. It was, you know, most series started late March, April, ran through to your October ish around, around the world for it there. So I think it was kind of out of that, just outside of that bubble to see if they could gain some international teams in. Whereas now, you know, a lot of series are running longer. So in respect of the 12-hour, the 12-hour has gone to that early early February time slot so it can get before the European season takes off and um, for that. So I, I think at that time it was in a perfect spot for it there. But I guess, you know, everyone heard about Australia and Bathurst and the iconic thing, but I guess from it they probably didn't have the reach to send cars out as much as they did for it there, so... I remember talk. Was it after? Might have been after the O two race, the first running. They they were suggesting uh, a New Year's Eve, New Year's Day time slot for the O three race. What that a would way be cool. to start your year. That'd be perfect. How good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it'd be the hot. Fireworks <laughs> at midnight. That would have been yeah. epic. Like you think yeah. how hot we are in February for the mm. twelve hour. But yeah, uh, I, I remember suggestions about that. But then they ultimately um, came back to earlier in the year. Mm. For the for the O three race, I I think the time of year was probably was probably all right. Yeah, I, I, I don't I don't think it made or break it. Yeah. I was just looking back at it, going, I wonder, I wonder Knowing if there what was we know now. Yeah, it certainly it didn't capture international teams' attention like the twelve hour has. I mean, there was a decent increase in international and high quality ent- entries from O two to O three. What? But they just didn't just didn't bring the teams over, did it? Part of what hurt. The O three race was the um, ACO announced during O three they were going to start up the Le Mans Endurance Series, and they did sort of fundamentally a test race in two thousand and three on the Beatty circuit at Le Mans, and it was the same weekend as the Bathurst twenty four hour. So, for instance, um, Seekel Motorsport brought their Porsche out for O two, but O three they ran that um, Le Mans Endurance Series race. So that, mm. but I mean, if we've so, Sertek ended up running that car, though. Did they? Yeah. Yeah. So that um, sick – oh, no, no. Sorry, I take that back. It's the AD Holdings, the Floyd uh, – The Floyd Kawasaki. car. That, oh. that became – so right. it was a yellow car in 2002, the yellow Porsche. That became the uh, second Sertek green car in 2003. Yeah, there has to be a segment on that Porsche. Yeah. Like, just quickly. Just because it's yellow. Daniel, what are your memories of the – no, of the green – Oh, the green Porsche. The green just Kawasaki Porsche noise. 2003. Oh, more just wherever you are, wherever you were on the track. On Earth. You, you knew where it was. <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? I was, like, sheltering under a tin tin roof to avoid the train. I could hear that car. Yeah. Uh, trying to, like, fall asleep on the hill in the morning, and you can hear it at, you know, Forest Elbow. 
That was so. There are rumors there was a an F A eighteen flyover <laughs> that no, no one, one heard. heard. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess, I guess secondly to that Porsche, it was uh, was it o two or o three when the Mosler um, had holes all through his through his exhaust, and it's had that off throttle, that horrendous yeah. crackle under it, like between them two in the middle of the night, like. It was just great sounds. And then you had the throaty Monaro coming through. Mm. Like I think um, Tander, a pretty uh, – was it Todd Kelly and um, – In the yellow one. In the yellow no, one. Oh, Steve, no, Richards. Stephen yeah, Richards. Richards. Yeah, I think they – when they were in the motorhome sleeping at night, they they were hearing that going past. And I think when um, Nathan Pretty um, had to dig it out, no two – um, for it there, they one of them woke up because they didn't hear the car, car come past when the, every two two <laughs> two minutes twenty seconds for it there. So it just shows you know at that time as well how loud the Monaro was with its seven liter. Like yeah, yeah. Okay, well that's uh, some of our that's some of our thoughts on the Bathurst twenty four hour. We're going to take a quick break and come back afterwards, and we'll reminisce some more about that magical event. Welcome back to the podcast. Now, just before we went to the break, there was some very, very good, very reminiscent memories made of the green Porsche, the Peter Floyd Porsche. That was run by Surtec Motorsport in that race, but it was a locally owned car during that 2003 season. Now, Daniel, you had a bit to do with that car during the 2003 year. Almost. I had a bit to do with the sister car, the 24 car that was blue. So, oh, so, sorry. I yeah, meant to, yeah. I meant to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So no, I um, got to know uh, former super super tour tour driver in Australia, Peter Hills. Uh, got to know him, and he invited me down. I was I was in year twelve. So once I finished my uh, HSC, I had some uh, spare time on my days. So he invited me down to his workshop um, uh, down down near the city, and yeah, so got to work on that car for a couple of days. Um, in the build-up to the 24-hour. So um, being non-mechanically gifted, I was given a bit of the lackey jobs. Um, they'd broke off one of their tools and it had actually gone inside the um, the back of the roll cage and Peter not being the most nimble of fellas. Um, I rocked in that morning and he's like, oh, I've got a job for you. So I just basically was a, a gymnast rolling myself around the um, – uh, roll bars of the back of a RS Porsche and trying to find a snapped off bit of one of the uh, the work tools there. I believe the uh, term is gopher. Oh, there you go. Did, did you find it? Eventually got it. So, you know, I got paid that day. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so, like, it was great pride actually watching that. The car was run by Surtec actually at the 2002 and 2003 24-hour um, so I obviously just got to watch it from afar at the racetrack, but I had, he had plans to run it in the nation's cup series in, uh, 2004, but obviously the, uh, demise of pro car, pro car at the time that didn't actually eventuate, um, for the 04 season, but I, I don't know where the car lives now, but, um, yeah, no, that, I've got some great photos of me next to the, uh, the 911 RS, um, Porsche. So did his, he have any, did his, he have any, his factory was Sydney, wasn't it? Sydney. Yeah. Um, Bankstown. Why? Not far. Um, what's the where was the cricket? Um, that big cricket shop down uh, Kingsgrove. Yeah, Kingsgrove. Kingsgrove. Yeah. So yeah, it was just in one of the industrial sites there. Did you have any Mondeos still sitting in there? Yeah, we you? had one, one uh, Mondeo that he was um, like it was just basically the shell. There was no motor in that, and um, yeah, so that was going to be my next job, which we never actually got to. But we, yeah, we're going to um, tear that out and repaint it. It was uh, yeah, still painted up. I think it was the 2002 um, Australian Super, Super Touring Championship, number 12, run by Sam Dale at the time. So eh. That was the one that was blue base, but it had the had the weird colour scheme at the side. Yeah, yeah, and that's what he was trying to get rid of. Yeah. Um, basically, the engine bay was like dark blue. And he, I remember Pete blowing up about that, saying only an idiot would have a dark blue engine bay. So he wanted something light to be able to um, obviously pick up any uh, fluids leaking, oil leaking in that sense. So, um, yeah. He only discussed with me the big jobs, as you can as you can attest. <laughs> so obviously, in early early two thousand and four, the um, pro car ceased operations, and worked in with that was the 
Bathurst 24 hour also basically went up in flames. Uh, there was a brief rescue package. Did it go up in flames or go down like the Titanic? Down like the Titanic. Titanic. Game over like a Holden Monaro ad. Um, but basically all done. There was a brief rec- rescue package that tried that they tried to put together, but ultimately it um, it didn't come to anything, which was a shame because there there were rumours f- that in two thousand and four they um, there was a chance the Schnitzer BMWs were going to come over the um, Nurburgring BMWs, but that that came to nothing. And even as late as two thousand and five, there's a quote from Peter Brock where he goes that the um, the Bathurst 24-hour the, the should be restored to the calendar. He says, we can't let it go. It's such a fantastic event. So, which unfortunately, that, that came to nothing either. We, either we've never seen one since. But in 2007, we did get the Bathurst 12-hour back, which in some ways is seen as the spiritual successor in a way to, to the 24-hour. And uh, I'll go to you, Daniel. Do you think there's anything that the 12-hour can learn from uh, what the 24-hour gave us. Yeah, I think it's plenty, actually. The, I mean, the, as I agree with you, the 12 hours kind of just carried the uh, the torch, I think, for a lot of Australia's um, uh, sports car and GT racing fans. One thing I'd love to see uh, for the 12 hour is bring back some night practice on the Friday night. I remember um, mm. that was a, a part of the 02 and 03 Bathurst 24 hours, just uh, on the Friday night, being able to actually just watch some practice qualifying Um which is awesome and gives the drivers actually a chance to experience um, what it's like to drive at night because at the moment the in the 12 hour the only uh, experience the drivers get is racing on Sunday morning which can be you know, it's great to look at but it can be pretty intimidating so I think running some night practice on the Friday night would be good for spectators and uh, teams alike do you think to make the night practice worthwhile at the 12 hour they'd have to increase the night running of the race Oh, I, I wouldn't object to it. Oh, but even like, gentlemen, you know I even if they didn't, I think just something new, something different for the would event would be good to watch. Yeah, yeah. So I, I'd like maybe start the race at five, get five to f- five to five, and that way you get an hour and a half, give well, or take. I've actually liked the idea. Um, Will Hagen actually mentions mentions this during the nineteen ninety one Bathurst twelve hour telecast, and I've always liked the idea that they should run at twelve to twelve. Sat- mid- started at midnight Saturday night. And finish it midday Sunday. That's kind of mirroring what they did uh, with the uh, Sepang twelve hour originally um, when they did it over there. That they ran it one day, uh, starting at midday to midnight, finished it up there, and then the next year they flipped it to run midnight to midday. But then later on they reverted it back to the the midday start. So I was fortunate enough to be working at both of those um, for for that, and it was a definitely a cool experience starting at midnight because when you're on the team there you still roll into the track a little bit later in the day but you still do all the prep and everything else from that so you're pretty much doing everything you'll be doing you know in the day but you're doing a little bit later rolling in and then you got to stay up for that whole 12 hour period so it definitely could work and be you know an epic thing a lot more night running yeah. for it there so well, that, that was the magic of the 24 hour mm. was the the I mean, night the, the the so much night running in the in the in the race. Mm. What what about you, Brock? What can the what can be applied to the twelve hour that the twenty four hour taught us? Lukey, I I just want it to be a twenty four hour event. Yep. If it's at all possible. Yep. I think it would add so much to the twelve hour. It's already amazing as it is. I think if it went a twenty four hour, it would be far and away the best event in Australian motorsport for me. Yeah. Well, even, I mean, the 12-hour itself in the last few years has moved away from what the 12-hour was four, four or five years ago. There's probably space that when the 5th of 5th Bathurst event went up for tender at the end of last year, one, Cravantic was one of the mm. companies that put, um, put a bid in. There's probably room for a Cravantic-style 24-hour race to run alongside the 12-hour. Bold. That is quite bold. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if you can run a twelve and twenty four hours for sports based production cars. But even if in the one in the Australian market, if the twenty four if the twelve hour sorry went GT three pro only. Well, let's hope that never happens. But if it did go down the path, you could. Yeah, 
you could. Um, if, but is there, an, is there enough demand in Australia? Because think about it, you've got a six-hour production car race. You've got a – well, mm. now I take your point. You've got a TCR race. You've got a 12-hour yeah. race. Is there room to kind of bring all those categories together for one 24-hour race? What if we turn the six-hour into a 24-hour? What if we just turn the 12-hour into a 24-hour? Well, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, if, oh. if you were to ask me that two years ago, I would have said don't mess with the 12-hour. Yeah, because we've got it to a point where we've got some continuity in teams and cars and things now. But the way they've tried to cut out classes in the last couple yeah. of years, um, obviously what's coming in with uh, coronavirus and things like that now um, – May have a crack at a twenty four hour. I, reckon, yeah. I think they're going to destroy the thing anyway. So I, I can just give it a crack one year. Like may, maybe not twenty twenty one, but twenty twenty two. Throw it out there. Next year we're going for a you know a twenty four hour. Give it a shot. If you know the field isn't quite there um, for it, there they can always revert back to the twelve hour. I, I don't think it's ever going to hurt. Like the the event itself, there'll be something there, especially with SRO involved um, for it. But, you know, it's worth a shot. It'll well, be cool again. When, well, the hard part is, though, I think if you go 24 hours, I think the chance of coming back to a 12-hour is is limited. Like, say say mm. it, it doesn't go well, I think that might be curtains for the whole thing. I just feel like the 12-hour, the GT3 12-hour has it enough of an identity and following now to justify splitting away from the traditional 12-hour and being its own standalone 24-hour and then give the production boys the, with the 6-hour, give back their traditional 12-hour and sort of do it like that. Because I just feel like now the GT3 race has enough room, uh, like enough weight behind it to stand between the 12-hour production race and the 1,000 as its own thing, which I think five years ago it didn't. Yeah. Mm. They'd have, to run a 24-hour race, though, you'd have, well, I'm going to say that they, they need to guarantee more cars, but I suppose the, the O2 24-hour only had but like, I think 32 30, starters. What I've yeah. heard is part of the reason they don't come is it's a bit of a crash fest. But if yeah. they said, look, we're, we're going to make it, you know, a pure GT3 race, I know for us on the hill we don't want that. But if they could guarantee a 40, 50 car grid, it's going to be a 24 hour GT3 only separate. And then we also have the 12 hour, which has all the car classes and everything that we love. I'd be okay with that. For, yeah, for an event, if you're able to get like 40 quality GT3 yeah, teams. Yeah, just in like there. a Spa 24 hour, but it's Bathurst. But yeah. have you seen the Spa 24 hours recently? Like that's a crash fest in itself. And that's 50 GT3 cars. Well, I, I just think, I think it'll be a. You, well, last last year was pretty good. Oh, it was a crash fest and qualifying, but take that aside. Um, I think those cars, that track, you're not ever going to get rid of crashes around no. Bathurst. So, but th- that's a bit of the um, the the special thing that Bathurst has going across it across the top is you only need to step, you know, a wheel width outside the groove, especially in a in a twelve or twenty four hour race. It's going to bite you. So it's kind of that endurance aspect where you've got to hit your marks, lap in, lap out um, for it to, to do it. So regardless if it's a six-hour, 12-hour, 24-hour, that's going to be there for it. I think maybe even a 24-hour might actually help that too. Because now yeah. the 12-hour at the moment, you're kind of caught between is this an endurance race, is it? 12-hour sprint. Yeah, yeah. So maybe, yeah, maybe going 24 hours then just steps that back a bit too. Well, that's probably one thing on the my memories of the 24-hour is that I think 03 you had on the last 10, 15 minutes, you had some of the class cars, I think it was one of the future tourers, parking up on the side waiting for the Menares to go past with only a bit left and then they rolled across the finish line so they to, to save the car because yep. they weren't going to make it. Like that, that, That's just an epic thing to memory that pops in into your mind for class racing at Bathurst. So. Yeah, or, or at Le Mans when the, you got the P1 leader and there's like 800 cars queued up <laughs> yeah. behind it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just cross the line. I, don't, I, I Just finish. We've had a... <laughs> well, I remember, that was the, I remember the O2 finish when particularly um, I remember the Mosler was crawling were crawling around. Martin Short had the... Um, had the door open, he was having a wave, and Cam's wouldn't have liked that. No, ten thousand dollar fine. But I think I think I think there were guys running through, like running around him, and because um, some of the cl- yeah some of the class guys were just pressing on as usual. They weren't um, yeah, they weren't. 
But I mean, the 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 history of the twenty four hour twenty four hour proposals for Bathurst goes back to in nineteen eighty five. There was a proposal to turn the Bathurst one thousand into a twenty four hour in nineteen eighty eight. As an endurance racing fan, I wouldn't complain, yeah. but but I know I'm in the minority, so that's okay. Yeah, well, it was only going to be for the one year to celebrate the bicentenary, but they um that's they quite creative they, yeah. yeah they they nicked it in the end and just well, stuck with the stuck with the formula. Would you rather see the twelve hour how it is now? Everything's the same. They throw in a night practice and then the event finishes on um sun. Well, okay. The event finishes, but then there's an additional 12 hours of racing. Would you rather that, or would you rather it stay how it is as a, as a 12-hour currently? Right now, I think as it's become more and more GD3-centric and they're doing all these things, I, I'm i fully supportive to open it up to 24 hours, have a crack at it. If it burns a thing down, it burns it there, down. There was like two GT4 cars in the last yeah. one, or was mm. there three? Two Beamers two. and a Merc. Ah, uh, there was... KCMs? The- no, no, they didn't. Uh, no, they didn't no, there was just two. There was the um, the American, the yeah, it was the um, GT4 BMW, the BMW and the Merc. So if if it's just going to be GT3, twenty four hour, and then put all the GT4s in the six hour, that becomes the twelve hour. Yeah, I can have a crack at it. The the only, I guess, the hard part is it's hard to say. If we're going to have a crack at it, don't do it next year. Do it the year after. Yeah, just um, gives us some time to actually, uh, um. Get through the, the current uh, crisis, and yeah, and then we've actually got some stability. How interestingly, SRO said during the week that, as far as they're concerned, the twelve hours going ahead in February. So I think you almost have to keep it as a twelve hour for next year. Yeah, yeah. Like that, next that, year's that, year. They, yeah, they won't. <laughs> as Cardi B said, <laughs> they, they won't even. Um, yeah, the the budget budgets would be um, set. Yeah, way too far to. Way too far gone to try and bring that, but I, I don't think anyone had turned down an extra twelve hours of racing. I wouldn't. If, and every year we go there, all I do is complain to Luke that I, <laughs> there's only seven hours left, <laughs> Luke. There's only seven hours. <laughs> the only interesting thing would be, I guess, what what teams think about it, especially the um, internationals. But, but but really, if they're sending cars across the world, yeah, more more bang for your buck. Because I wonder how how much more would the cost be to run a car? Well, actually, Adam, you might know because you're already there. <laughs> like you're yeah. already there at the event. What's yeah. another twelve it, hours? It's cost? more so the componentry afterwards for it there. Like you got your general running costs for it there, so you're going to burn through more fuel, more tires for for the event there. Um, for it, it will just be your rebuild cost at the end. So where you might give something like a minor service after the event, you might just have to replace it. Um, for it there, so I think um, I think going off on an average cost, you're probably looking. I think the average mark for a GT3 car is about I think it's about twenty to twenty five euro per kilometer. So at the moment, that's about fifty fifty dollars Australian per kilometer per running. That's how they budgeted off there. So you know, I think some teams were running the twelve hour at you know three hundred thousand. So some around about there. Obviously, some more factory. Um, teams are going to run a lot more than that and some a lot less for it there. So it might be, you know, for a fully-fledged factory car, half a mil, uh, maybe. But we have to highlight the technicality of no factory teams in GT3. (laughs) Although it's the same drivers, same mechanics, same engineers. With with, with fingers set above our head. Yeah. 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 um, Speaking of the 24 hours, well, Jim Richards, when he was asked in the 2002 race why he wasn't running his Porsche, he jumped in with the PHR Scuderia. Uh, Porsche, interestingly enough. Um, but he said, yeah, so basically for him, he would have done a year's worth of running in a day. Mm. He's like all the other option was obviously to race his Porsche for the season. Yeah. So he raced his Porsche for the season and jumped in someone else's car for the 24 hours. So obviously that's that's the – that was in 2002. Mm. But that I guess and that's the uh, predicament uh, for uh, some of the owner drivers. A lot of the things, yeah, with, with a lot of the – local teams or whatever even the internationals most most 24-hour races they have sometimes two sets of crew so one part of the crew can can have a rest um for it there i know there was a few local guys that did that in the 24-hour that they'll send half the team away back to the house they could have a sleep and switch it for that so um you know we all said at lamar all the all the um mechanics 
catching a catching sleep when they can in the pits um, for it there. You know the uh, customer sport teams. I'll use the right um, terminology for this one here. Um, yeah, they would have their dedicated mechanics there, but for the local, the less, uh, I guess the local semi, I guess semi-professional teams, if you want to call them that. Um, yeah, they'll, they'll most definitely need some extra people there to do it. So yeah. Your mention of Jim Richards brings up probably the biggest what if in the two year history of the race. What if that PHR Skidaria GD3 RS didn't get crashed on the Friday of the 2002 event? So who? Because he, it, it he, qualified fourth. He had yeah Jim Richards. He had Fitzy, John Fitzgerald. Who else do you have in it? Peter Fitzgerald. Peter Fitzgerald. We, did Fitzgerald. Have, we didn't have a tennis player in it. <laughs> yep. Uh, Pete. Did Mahira Gadri was he one of the drivers? Mm. I thought I thought Mahir was in the, the Ferrari. Could have been. Yeah, I think he was in the Ferrari. But um but I mean that car, that Porsche was qualified fourth. Yeah. And would have well, you could could have would have should have could have done the distance, should have done the distance without too many problems. There's no reason that it wouldn't have with all the problems that Monaro had. Yeah, I think it, it would have been in the mix, but I yeah. I can't I can't have seen it. Yeah. Seen it uh yeah. But winning. Uh, but uh, yeah. But some final thoughts in the two-year history of the race. What what was your favourite car that competed in the event? Favorite car, probably the, the Lamborghini Diablo. That was um, obviously we wanted wanted it to be there in two thousand and two. It wasn't um, a last-minute deal. Got it there for two thousand and three, and it was apart it was from quick. It was very quick. Part blue like eight or nine tires over twenty-four hours. But uh, yeah, no, no, that was. Uh, out of all of them, but there were some good cars. Yeah. What about you, Brock? Oh, the Tanda. He was my my it, it, childhood hero. Apart from the uh, <laughs> apart from the uh, the Monaro. Oh, apart from the Monaro. Were there any other cars in the race aside from the? <laughs> not, 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 not if you look at the results sheet. Um, oh, I mean, you know, obviously the Lamborghini was cool. I can't remember what livery it was. It was it the Crazy John's livery back then? Oh, it was it was black and yellow. Oh, the black had, and yellow livery, the, but it had Donut King. All over it. Yeah. I'll, I'll go the Lamborghini. That's pretty mm. cool. Yeah. What about you, Adam? For me, on par, there's on par is that Fluoro Green Kawasaki Porsche, just from yep. you know the 996 GT3 RS. Cool car for it, and it just sounded amazing. And then on a, the Mosler, just still back then, cool yep. car. It was, it was a boring colour scheme. Not the Mosler. So my, my, my choice, it was, a, it was a bit of a boring colour scheme. It was plain white, but it was the Outson... Super Cup Porsche from two thousand and three. Mm. Had the had the little um, the little lights, the little the little um, eyes. LED. Yeah, eyes um, on the front in the in the stint where it rained. Mm. It just looked with the lights on the four of them mm. coming at you. That just looked fantastic. Probably one car that we've overlooked a bit is the BMW GDR that went out of the race in 03 quite early. Yeah. Did it ever turn turn a wheel again? I don't. Not that I've heard. No, I think I think it did some uh, shakedown runs because the um, Searles picked it up um, after PHR didn't run in two thousand and four, and they were going to run it at Sandown in the um, uh, the Pro Car um, round two, I think it was at the time. But then with all the uncertainty around that, it got shelved. Because I mean that that car was a, was a bit of a Monaro as well, wasn't it? In terms of rule design, mm. was it, it was the US, wasn't it? it was yeah. brought across from the US. What they were running in. Um, or was it AL- yeah, like what category did that car yeah. run in? It wasn't ALMS. It wasn't a GT. No, it, it was. One it or- was running in the ALMS, wasn't it? No, not that one. I don't think. Oh, it was because a similar it, spec it, though. There was a V8. There was a it V8 came from the states. There was a V8 in the AL- V8 BMW in two thousand one in the ALMS, but I don't think it was the same spec as the one PHR ran. But there, yeah. there was a GT two M three GT. Yeah, that, wasn't there? That was the one Schnitzer were going to run. So this was a different spec, was it? I always assumed it was a similar. I think it had sort a different. I think it had a different size V eight in it. Well, I mean, you know, you yeah. could run a seven liter at that event. Why well, not? Yeah, yeah, you could, do, <laughs> could almost do it. Could almost do anything. But yeah, that I mean, that there was such a build up to that BMW mm. coming in two thousand and three because PHR had, had um, teased for half a year that they had something big. It was going to take down I mean, the Monaro. Yeah, because well, mid Nations Cup two thousand and three, they stopped running the Ferrari, and that's right. Bauer did a round in a Porsche and he did a round in a Viper. That's it. He was trying to do everything to win the title. and Yeah, and it was yeah, it's interesting the way he did it. But 
Because that, 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 um, did it do its engine or? The Ferrari? No, the BMW. That stopped. Or did it hit the wall as well? Yeah, no, it had, it had a crash. And I think something ultimately did break into yeah. it. And then someone drove into the door of it in it, the middle of the night and I think finished it off. But it was miles, miles yeah. down by that stage. Because yeah. it, it finished up, up top under the tree or something, didn't it, from memory? Because it threw, threw, a, threw yellows and everything from memory. Yeah, no. But not, yeah, still yeah. cool car. So not not too sure. But um, oh, well, on behalf of Adam, Brock, Daniel, I'm Luke Blackman, and we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of the Motor Racing Passion Podcast. Let us know your thoughts on the Bathurst 24 Hour and any of your favourite memories or things you saw on our um, Facebook page, Motor Racing Passion. This episode was produced by Luke Ryan for Tum Drum Media. Catch you next time on Motor Racing Passion.